Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, not fed up of snakes yet. Joining us tonight, returning for an unprecedented fourth appearance, it's a record breaker, you know her best as a director of The Stylist, it's Jill Gavargazian. Jill, hello. Hello, I feel like with that, that intro I need like wrestling music now playing <laughs> yeah. and i'm walking in the room <laughs> we could see if we could get some of the terrible like royalty free stuff that they use in this film <laughs> oh my god that's the trick They're already jabbing at the film i'm excited to be back talking about a franchise which i have a deep love for the first one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think more, it's fair to more say that, explanation will come yeah, soon. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we all have a relative wealth of, if not love, then like for the first film. But um, I feel like to an extent, this is a franchise with uh, offers diminishing returns. Diminishing returns, I would say. Yeah, but I mean, like, Jill, like you say, I think that like you came on. I mean, and we'll get to it, but. Obviously, this is your fourth appearance on the show and our fourth tackling of a film in the Anaconda franchise. This time, the fourth entry, Anaconda Trail of Blood. And yeah, you came on and did Anaconda way, way back in 2019 when you were first launching the Kickstarter for The Stylist. We all loved it, and at that point, we all theorized that doing all four of them would be a great idea. I would love (laughs) to check back in with you right now and see if you think that that is still a good idea. Wait, I have a confession. I just had so much fun talking with you guys about part one that I had to figure out a way to come back a uh, million times. Okay, okay. So like, <laughs> rather than just being like, I'll pick another film, it's yeah, like, we have well, to do the series. There are other films available. Better, some would argue better <laughs> films. Well, and um, I guess I feel that my love for the OG original <laughs> Anaconda is so deep that if this gives us an excuse to bring it up as while talking about the sequels, it's fine. And, well, you may have a fight on your hands doing that because this is, at this point, very far removed from the events of the original film. Although it is, and I know this from Amazon Video Trivia, this is the, um, the, only, entry, <laughs> the only entry in the franchise that has any returning characters. That's right. Because it's shot back-to-back with, uh, with three. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Obviously, then, that still puts Don E. Fauntleroy in the driving seat. <laughs> yes and imdb it says tv movie released in 2009 mm-hmm. was it sci-fi or like who re- you know where did this release what oh, channel i think it, it must have been sci-fi or some something like that i can't really see it landing anywhere else Maybe it does a feel life, a lifetime movie <laughs> <laughs> just i'm just i'm just very quickly checking to see if i can find where it landed i mean they were stoked about it because yeah like we said they clearly made Part three and four, back, back to back. Back to back, yeah. It's the most attempt at carrying on the storyline, I think. I don't fuck. <laughs> I mean, Is I mean, there like... part two to three? I don't know. There's only little connections, I think. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think it's pro- it's probably worth trying to reorient reorientate ourselves in this universe before we start talking. Before we get anywhere near the fourth film, and I can confer- I can confirm by the way, it was a sci-fi channel. Excellent. It was a sci. Yeah, it was a sci. It was a sci-fi original. Now I don't mind telling you, Mitch. I have almost no recollection of the events of Part Three. I remember some <laughs> stuff involving a mine and a lot of stuff involving jeeps. Now, I don't know if I'm just remembering what I just Wait. watched because there's a lot of jeeps in this as well. Um, yeah, like Wait, um... the best part about part three was that the snake had a like a blade or I don't even on the end of that. its tail. It had a katana tail. <laughs> oh my god. So part three was incredibly violent, which made it more bearable. Like mm-hmm. it was like a slasher movie, like 15 people were killed. I don't even, a lot of people died in very bloody ways. Aha, uh-huh. yeah, it was, I think it was kind of like, it was a pretty ropey film in general that was kind of, if it was saved by anything, it was saved by the body count. Yeah, so is this. Uh, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree, but I mean, like, so in the second, in the second film, uh, Hunt for the Blood Orchid, it is in the Blood Orchid as an idea and as a concept in the series is introduced. At that point, it's, I believe that it's just kind of like something that will grant the person eternal life, the bearer eternal life. It's in the third film that they've extracted a serum from it and it's got regenerative qualities and um, they give it to a snake that becomes like a genetically enhanced super snake. Then David Hasselhoff is there. <laughs> uh, they all try and capture the snake. Also, it's all kind of like the villain is this tyrant, uh, J.D. Murdoch. Yeah, played by John Reese davis who's back in this one. Yeah, yes. so returning characters in this one are, are he and also um, Amanda. That's right, yeah, who has moved from being a geneticist in part three to being a botanist in this one, so she's uh, kind of <laughs> flipped her, uh, her expertise. I from... was trying to explain that to myself out loud. I'm like, she was definitely... Mm. working with the snake in the third one right i'm like asking myself so like now she's clearly a botanist or something (laughs) yeah uh wait but also a botanist that is she's suddenly turned into like an action star dressed a la tomb raider and is running around everywhere with guns well she does Uh pretty much become lara croft later when she shoots that man to smithereens with two guns 100 percent Absolutely. Massive channeling a lot of craft in this. I hadn't actually thought about that until you said it, but you're so right. So yeah, the third film ended with ostensibly kind of like them defeating the snake and Murdoch's empire theoretically coming crashing down. But it did end with um, a scientist who I came to know, uh, his name is Peter Reisner, mm. who escaped with some serum to, um, to kind of bring back to Murdoch. That's right. So wait, remember also at some point nearish the end. Actually, I don't fucking remember when they say this in part three. <laughs> they say something like how there's like because remember it was called offspring, right, but yet true. we never even deal with the offspring. But at some point they're like the whole world is like overrun with snakes and like that's the big concern. We never see like the rest of the world. So it's like <laughs> what happened to the rest of the world and all those baby snakes oh yeah it was something like the world's gonna get overrun with baby snakes also also also, if that is still a permanent threat it is not checked in on once during this film i think the way that they managed to get around any potential offspring in this one is give the snake these regenerative qualities so you could go right okay well we could blow this one snake up but he'll just keep coming back so it's as if we've got multiple snakes Mm, okay (laughs) hey by the way guys someone's gonna have to do a 30 second synopsis yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, it's normally the guest that does this, but Jill, you can retire from doing synopses at this point if you want to. It's okay. 
I don't feel like I'm great at it, but I'm staring at the one on IMDb, which I talked about with you, <laughs> like before we decided to do the episode. <laughs> and I feel like that needs to be read as well. Well, if you're more than happy to read that, Jill, then we're more than happy to record <laughs> you doing so and just go on the. I think the, the, okay. the very nature of where we are at now, having this been the fourth of these, I think the rules are kind of out the window anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, um, I would. I, I, we can take the IMDb synopsis and just get stuck in. I think so, Jill. If you have that there, then by all means, go. Are you ready? It's very short and makes no <laughs> sense. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I count in. <laughs> okay, okay, right. Three, two, one, go. A genetically created anaconda cut in half regenerates itself into two aggressive giant snakes due to the blood orchid. But here's my, where I come in. Where, where, why is it the blood orchid's fault? Um, no, that just, that just grows. I don't understand it. This is just one sentence with multiple commas. I really don't understand <laughs> yeah. For my money, the blood orchid just grows. It doesn't do anything, right? It's a plant. But also, <laughs> I don't know if this is me being stupid, but did I miss two snakes? Yeah. Um, I have a question about that. I was like, very much under the belief that it was one snake. Because I remember thinking, because Jill, you mentioned that synopsis to me when we discussed you coming back to do this. And I got to midway through and I was like, I thought there was two snakes in this. Um, <laughs> but I, I can, only, can only really remember seeing one. Um, Did they ever say anything about it being no. cut in half? Like, what? No, I mean, like, right at the beginning, a snake gets cut in half and you see it regenerating, but it doesn't turn into two snakes. It's just, like, a little test subject snake. Like, yeah, because um, that, that dude, Peter, he's got, like, just offcuts of snakes lying around in his in his house that he, when they don't quite do what he wants, he just burns them up. So, like, I think what happens is that snake very early on gets cut in half, weirdly some custard comes out of it, and then <laughs> it gets, like, just chucked in an oven. Yeah, um... And we may as well kind of jump into this at this point because um, we are in the immediate aftermath of Anaconda 3 and we do join um, this guy Peter, Peter Reisner, who has, uh, once the dust is settled, kind of the smoke's cleared um, from the events of the third film, he's like just kind of working away. You hear the kind of the product of his research and voiceover while you mm. see him kind of like tinkering with snakes as a bunch of caged monkeys, mice and parakeets look on. Mm. Um, <laughs> you have to imagine they're all just food, but potentially, I guess. Yeah, I, I just, I just like it to really think. Really makes that... me miss the first guy or the monkey from part two. <laughs> <laughs> that monkey knew what was up. I miss that guy as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we hear basically that kind of like the tests that he's been carrying out since the third film concluded have been going pretty well. Um, so he kind of goes, he kind of goes for a stroll. Uh, but he's not long for this world because no, um, no. a snake regenerates and gets uh, kind of raging in a cage, which we're a sight we're very, very used to at this point. Despite um, all my rage, I'm still just a snake in a cage. <laughs> no, that snake, right? I think, I'm just going to say, certainly in the early running, I was like, these snake effects right out the gate are better than part three. And I think they pretty much are across the pace of the thing. I couldn't decide how I felt about the snake. Uh, I think with the caveat that they still certainly aren't good. <laughs> they, they, like, they maybe are better. Uh, like, like uh, there's still not a single moment where I believe that a snake is there. <laughs> right, but, okay. I, but, I, but I would say that like it is, it probably does have a little bit more polish. Mm. But yeah. wait, to, to the beginning of this movie, I felt like they were just like throwing up information at, at me. It was like, 
It was like all this voiceover of like the snake's gonna be five times and through it was like all the information we need like right at the start of the movie. I, I remember I remember thinking, like, obviously, but going into this, we knew that these two had been shot back to back, and I was like, okay, I will need to try and kind of like give myself a refresher on the third one, which I did. But see, just like when you made this and just dropped it and it came out, it was like I don't because I remember it started, I was the same as you, Jill. When it, when he started talking about all this research and stuff, I was like, this is assuming a lot of knowledge and that a lot of people who are kind of watching this have a very good memory of the third film. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's also like it seems like their way of attempting to up the ante here. They're just like the latest serum is now fucking so much crazier. I have a few notes because I was trying to understand what the hell was going on. Uh -huh. <laughs> I've written down snake five times as big within days. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. well, the side effect is aggressive behavior. No shit. But we know that. <laughs> We knew that anyway. Like, it doesn't need to tell us that. We can assume <laughs> that this film isn't going to be about a friendly snake. <laughs> yeah, like, but like, basically, all of the kind of long-winded science terminology that we hear in this is all in service to the point being like, as a result of these experiments, snake, but more. <laughs> By the way, that guy could have had a pretty lucrative kind of side business and like selling snakeskin shoes because really. He's not really killing any snakes. Like, if he keeps regenerating, then you've just got an endless supply of snake skin that you can sell. Yeah, yeah. We can do a spin-off film where that's what's happening. We could have, were it not for the fact that Peter immediately dies. He does die. And do you know what? I don't care. I don't care either. Um, uh, I, I, I did, I'm, the, I'm not going to kid on that I remembered that he was the guy who escaped at the end of the third one. No. When it started, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then it was only when I did my trusty Wikipedia plot synopsis read-along while I was watching it that I uh, connected the dots that he was the guy that escaped. I didn't remember his face. Immediately showing us the hubris of playing with nature. 100%, yes. Not the last time. Not the last time that we'll, be, that we'll learn that lesson. Uh, First of all, there's way too many characters from the last <laughs> in the last movie and this movie to keep any fucking thing straight. Oh my god, that are so, like I like I like I kind of assumed that it was like right, okay, the third one has very clearly established the stakes for the fourth one, mm -hmm. and this will just be like presumably a no frills resolving of that conflict. That's right. Yeah. Presumably I with like a solid amount of snake deaths, but then like there are so many characters in this. Well, I just started writing down that it was quite, the setup was quite similar to part three in so much as there was one Jeep that kind of had good guys in it and then another Jeep yeah. that had like kind of really rough and ready Romanian mercenaries in it. Yeah, I wrote like, there's so many groups of people, what is happening? I didn't understand any of their motives, really. I don't know, they're all going for the, you know, for the the orchid to get the, to be able to make the serum everybody wants which wait we learned a whole new thing why like our our, our dude murdoch has an even bigger invested interest in this now oh. he is dying of bone cancer he's gonna yes. die in like five, five days i don't remember how many days very soon <laughs> yeah, that's <right. laughs> suddenly that's yeah you're quite right i was just i was gonna say it's like yeah like that is that is kind of like the first concrete real stakes that we get it's like the, the villain murdoch from the first uh, i'll say from the first film from the third film but like um yeah he's developed bone cancer so yeah he needs the serum pronto so we we kind of meet him his his actual kind of life seems okay though because he's like every time that we see him until he actually ventures over he's just sitting like by a like very warm looking fireplace in a lovely mahogany furnished room drinking whiskey surrounded but, by um, money surrounded by actual <laughs> money like stacks of money <laughs> it's quite like it's weird like this this whole setup because we get introduced to although Murdoch's a bad guy he's not really our main bad guy here because one John Reese Davis isn't a young man 
and two, he's kind of sidelined by the fact that he has cancer. So we, we kind of meet our main bad guy here, who is the mysteriously named Eugene, who we yeah. know right away is bad because he has a turtleneck, leather trousers, and sunglasses on. Also, uh, also he has an he has an accent that isn't American as well, which is the classic sign of a villain in this franchise. But like, um, well, Mitch, if yeah. you think that this film was filmed in America, oh, my friend, no. you are wrong because almost every single person is Romanian. Yeah, um, I also think that it's funny that like because I remember thinking when it was like, oh, here is the deadly master assassin Eugene, and I just love the writers' room thought of like, give me a sexy assassin name. <laughs> <laughs> It's important, he... I feel, to mention that Mr. Murdoch says he's not even sure about the serum. Like, he's like, the serum may change that. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's, 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 I think it, he comes off as quite desperate at this point. Like, it's like, it's like he thinks there's a chance this might help him, so he's kind of dispatching him to do that. But he does also give him this photo of Amanda, and he's like, also, uh, if you spot her, do me a favor and kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he want her dead? I don't remember... Oh, he, he's, he's basically just like, she's a fucking nuisance. Kill out of his ear. It's kinda, it's there, kinda... I figured they had a, a problem, the, something that happened at the end of part yeah, three. Is, is my, for, and I don't from, remember from what. From my recollection, their only interaction is early in part three when she mouths off at him. Maybe he's never got over that. <laughs> like she, she's like, I think she's like, listen, your money won't fly here. I'm the scientist and you're just the kind of... You're just the bankroll or something. They have this kind of weird exchange at the start of the third one in the lab. Do you think that it's just like, oh, also kill her because she had a smart mouth with me that time? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, smash cut to the Carpathian Mountains sure. in east in uh, Eastern Europe, as the title card says. Um, the title card that brings into like that introduces this is the most Microsoft Word thing that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's like straight aerial narrow. <laughs> Um, unexpected character introduction blonde wayfish Alex yeah I've got him written the whole yes. way through because I didn't know his name until the last two minutes as Frosted Tips Frosted Tips is Alex <laughs> um, uh, I wrote down loner hiker dude meets up with snake people <laughs> snake people good yeah yeah I love that um, so much happens so quickly that like Jill's just compacted it into one sentence like but what? fuck <laughs> it this guy meets other people oh, and they meet up with other people oh, great. we've and... got so many different groups of people in in these woods and what are they all doing <laughs> so yeah so, uh, so so Alex meets Amanda and two new people uh, who I believe that we don't know from before her two, so she's got two like new hire cronies uh, Vasil and Armon by mm-hmm. the way so uh, yes yeah, she so she basically kind of like she gives I think probably to the casual viewer not series aficionados like ourselves she gives a little <laughs> bit of a previously on basically saying that they're out to kind of like kill this snake and destroy the serum maybe then this we, all th- explains why Amanda changed from being um, a uh, whatever the fuck she was caring for the snake who she you know called her baby in the beginning of part three and now she's a fucking snake hunter who cares about flowers yeah, she's, she's, <laughs> she's changed passions yeah, it's just, like pretty dramatically really um but yeah but at this point and like i say we're talking about the fact that it's like this is a really hard film to nail down in terms of keeping it linear because 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 like so amanda and alex and the other guys are kind of like group one for this purpose right and then group two we have jackson jackson and heather and other people who don't have names as far jackson, as jackson I... yes. heather um patrick and wendy 
right. are your full lot here. Mm-hmm. But I, but again, they're introduced so casually. It cuts to them in the Jeep and they're talking. And I was like, oh, who are these people? And then I had that thing where I was like, should I remember them from the third one? Because like, because they're introduced like you should already know who they are. Yeah, no, but no one, yeah. I, I don't think anyone really, apart from Amanda, survives the third one. Amanda and um, Murdoch are the only returning sure. characters. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, so anytime that you think that someone looks familiar, they don't. to be honest they could have put the same actors in this and i wouldn't have known going into it like i'd have just been like fair enough but while we're in this jeep scene that jackson character starts singing this like fucking seductive song and it's just not it it's not funny or Mm. cute yeah uh it just it I it, it just it He's brings nothing to, I, I think that the entire banter that you get between this lot at the start here, I for one thing, I was like, Oh, I can't tell if I'm supposed to like them or not. I don't know if this is establishing <laughs> them as like being bad guys or people that I should root for. Um and I don't know if I was any further on with that by the time we got to the end. Yeah, so this this lot are kinda like group two and what are they actually trying to do? <laughs> now as far before, as best before, I can figure out, they are going to find another team who they have lost contact with and they believe are probably dead and they are okay yeah i I was trying to establish (laughs) what their stakes were before they got kind of because obviously they get drawn into the kind of hunt for the snake but what i don't remember is if the group that they're going to locate who we've lost contact with are anything to do with the third film well i think so well, yeah, you would, you would, and I, and I, and like, if, and if there's, and I would contend that they maybe are, because if there's one thing that the latter part of this franchise loves, it's people splitting into subgroups. Yeah. And I do remember that there was like two lots of people, in the first, like in the third one. But, uh, but then either way, some of these characters look exactly the same. Like I kept getting Patrick and Frosted Tips mixed up. See, this is the problem. I think that like. Both the third and the fourth films in the series introduce a lot of characters who are basically red shirts. That's it. They're there like, to be um, killed by snakes. And they're all introduced so interchangeably that I remember thinking, I was just like, after about maybe 20 minutes of this, I was like, I see that we're doing this again. <laughs> it's like, where it's like, it's like, if you're trying to watch this film with a critical eye, it's like, I'm going to have to try and get acquainted with these characters, but I know that it won't matter. Like, I feel duty bound to try and tell them apart and understand who they are and what they do. But the film isn't doing that, so why should I? Sure. We cut, we cut back at this point to um, Alex and Amanda and that lot, Vasily and Armin. Uh, they find the patch of blood orchids where Peter died earlier on. And we have our first of several encounters with the snake uh, in this. Because basically she sets about kind of trying to destroy this once and for all. And then they have this snake altercation and... They try to flee the scene, and I think that this is absolutely hilarious. When Amanda tries to like scale that ladder, or like you know this like the steps <laughs> out, the first the first, the bottom rung on the ladder breaks. She falls. What I would put at an absolute outer limit is three feet, and she is unconscious for what appears to be about twelve hours. <laughs> See, I had no fucking idea what was going on here, much to the point where I had to message you to say why is she unconscious? Like, all I saw was she just couldn't climb a ladder. And I, I didn't know if she was like a narcolept <laughs> or if he'd like accidentally kicked on the face. Like, I had no idea why she hit the deck unconscious, and I was just it's, like, huh, weird. It's, it is a blinking you'll miss it moment, but it's 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 the bottom rung on the steps breaking. But yeah, she she she, she falls like I say at an absolute maximum three feet, knocks herself unconscious, and she doesn't come to until the following morning. <laughs> but she finds that fuck. She finds what she's looking for in absolutely record time. Like she's on screen for maybe three minutes, and she's found those hybrid blood orchids. And she's like, so she sets up like a bomb of sorts because that's apparently how you get rid of flowers. I don't know. <laughs> 
Fantasy. Isn't there probably an easier way to you need to do, use a bomb? But um, okay, wait. I'm just now re- thinking. Maybe is the idea here that this the snake itself is smart enough that it knows that the blood orchid is helpful to it and that it's protecting it. I feel like the serum makes the snake go mad no matter where it is because there's the bit. There's a couple of bits actually. Like there's the moment later on where she pours the serum on a like a petrol tank and throws it at the snake so that it attacks it and then she blows it up. And mm-hmm. then like there's the bit near the end where Murdoch dies just like seconds after he's injected himself with the serum. I feel like it's drawn to the serum somehow. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I feel like there's a connection between regenerative snake qualities and the hybrid blood orchids. Definitely. Okay. That checks out. But yeah. but yeah, it knows that that thing that it's helpful to it. <laughs> I just felt like maybe that's why it freaks out on her for setting up the, the you know the flower bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you just rip them out of the ground like they're just flowers? <laughs> does, it, does it require a Violence. It's like, it's like, do you do you really need to do you really need to rig what is effectively a garden with explosives? <laughs> <laughs> so so team two, Jackson and Co. They find the base camp at this point for the team that they were trying to find. This does not go great. That's right. Yeah. Uh, everyone is dead. Um, and uh, to the surprise of no one. Yeah. This everyone... is when I wrote down there are so many different groups of people roaming. The jungle or whatever this is, (laughs) with like multiple question marks. Like this is like, well, this is kind of when I squared in my head that I was like, because when they found the base camp again, this looked like something. Like this is presented in in a way where I was like, oh, I feel quite strongly like this is something that I should recall from the third one. Mm -hmm. And then I looked back and I was like, nope. (laughs) It's like it's it's just more strangers that have died off camera. So yeah, like I, like I totally understand the confusion. I kind of had the same thing, but it was just basically I realized I was like, right, okay, presumably everyone is a new character. Treat everyone henceforth as a new character. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, by the way, you don't really need to care about anyone because people are being introduced and dying at a rate that will make your fucking head spin. <laughs> Like I'm like, who's this guy? Oh, he's dead. Oh, he's fucking dead. Like people are just dropping dead constantly. And uh, to be honest, I pretty quickly decided that I don't care about any of these people, their issues, their lives, or their bullshit. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that because um, so the, so 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 Jackson and uh, Heather and Wendy and Patrick find the base camp and they find who are presumably their colleagues all dead. Mm. And they were like, oh, whoever or whatever did this is still out there. And then somebody's like, do you want to stay the night here? And they're like, yeah, that, that's fine. Let's definitely do that. And there was something else happened here that, again, that I had to message you about, Mitch, because I missed it. Uh, I must have been taking a note. But we get we kind of get this weird moment between Heather and Jackson where it, it's kind of seeded that they're in love with each other or they're in a relationship. Yeah. And then she kind of goes, oh, to the back of her neck. And then the next thing I know, she's got a fucking fever and she's at death's door. Here, wait, re- rewind, though. When Jackson's talking to her, he's like, I'm going to send you and whoever the hell the other female in this group is home because it's not safe. Mm. And like, <laughs> he cares so much about her. And she's like, why does our relationship have to be a secret? <laughs> this whole thing is so ridiculous. And like, I'm going to send the two weak women home. Yeah. But then he made a decision, yeah. presumably predicated on them getting some alone time, 
to take them into the jungle to look for dead people. Um, <laughs> the sexiest of excursions. It's yeah, like a sexy. Like, it's like a sexy version of Stand by Me. Just, um, yeah, just finding a stack of corpses and then just being like, "Finally, we're alone." Yeah, why? And why is their relationship a secret? Why wouldn't? Is it Heather? Why Heather, would yep, she Heather. know? Like, if if it was an affair, she would know why. Like, I feel like being part of the relationship, she she probably knows why it's a secret. But yeah, yeah, but apparently it, not. Or he's just like that ashamed of her. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but like no, because I remember think. But also like we get yeah, we get this kind of like this establishing scene. It's like oh, I understand they're a couple now, yeah. and then and or they are a couple, and then she's like oh, why is it a secret? And he's like oh, I don't know why it's a secret. And then they both just have a wee laugh, and I was like, I cannot begin to tell you how little I care about these things. <laughs> <laughs> but then something but happens. Yeah, her little like ow suddenly. <laughs> yes, yeah, and Andy, to your point, at this point, um, yeah, you did drop me a message asking what on earth had just happened. Yeah, because then in the next scene they're like draining this massive out. suppurating septic wound on her neck. But they say in that scene that she got a spider bite. Yep, she was bitten by a hobo spider. If she was bitten by a spider, there's no, like literally nothing made of it because she goes, "Oh, my neck," and then and then he's like, "Let's go to bed," and they kind of walk away happy together. So are we to presume that she has some kind of breakdown during the night. It seems like, yeah, it, it seems like at the time she's like, oh, something bit me, that's inconvenient. Yeah. Um, but then, like, later on, it, it, it seems to get uh, much, much worse. Yeah, she's got a high fever. Like, By the way, I quite like the, the moment, uh, similar to last week, Mitch, when we did Snakes on a Plane, I quite like the moment when they cut her wind open and it, like, all that, all the kind of pus and gunk pulls out of it. That's very in my wheelhouse. It does, <laughs> it does look a wee bit like he is uh, making an incision in a piece of drywall when you see it in close up. <laughs> it's better than nothing given that the rest of this film is made in a computer. Like every backdrop out of a car window, every snake. But the only thing that really impressed me on this that is pretty much i think real the whole way through is some pretty great squib work anytime anyone is shot uh yeah i think it gets all that <laughs> stuff but i think it gets all that stuff kind of mostly right i think it's yeah it's 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 pretty good while this is all going on uh eugene who cannot travel alone needless to say he has three na- or three or four kind of like nameless assassin assistants come with him so introducing yeah. a third group into this melee yeah, he's also, I noticed, got a photo of Peter, which is just a still from earlier in the film. 100%, yep, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> they couldn't take a picture of him on set. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That was too complicated. Nope. That, was, that was too much of a reach. Uh, yeah, I, I spotted that as well, and I never noticed stuff like that, but yeah. yeah um, also, Amanda wakes up here from her uh, extended... By the way, if you were unconscious for this amount of time, you could potentially have a brain injury. <laughs> Which would kind is of this expl- when she's really running? Does she wake up and then just start running through the woods? Like she does, yeah. Full she, on action star, almost yep. immediately pursued by a snake. But she like has a, a another fucking black and white flashback to the events of Anaconda Three. Yes, um, I was pleased by this. Yeah, our first example <laughs> of reused footage. Yeah, but it annoys me that when people like we've talked about this in the past, Mitch, when. We see flashbacks that are that are something that happened months ago or minutes ago, and they're either black and white or sepia tinted. It drives me fucking yeah. mad. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a really like there's a use of this later on that I love that um, we'll get to, but I do agree with you. I was making notes though leading up to finally this 
like second snake showdown mm -hmm. that like every 10 minutes writing like we need more snakes still haven't seen another snake <laughs> oh well you'll you'll very soon be at snake overload tipping point because the snake stuff doesn't really give up at all from about the 40 minute mark yeah because i wrote still need more snakes at 37 and i'm like okay here we go <laughs> <laughs> um See, also, like, when uh, this team are kind of wandering around trying to figure things out, at one point, Jackson talks to... It's Patrick, isn't it? Yeah, he, um, he's talking to Patrick. And he's just like, look, I was sorry to hear about your brother. I was like, can we please stop sowing the seeds of conflicts and stakes that we know won't be resolved? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it's like it's like not every one of these basically, for all intents and purposes, nameless, interchangeable people who will all be snake food in 40 minutes need emotional backstories. They just need to be there to die. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that was starting to kind of get to me as well. I was like, unless you're going to do something with this character, don't tell me anything about them. As it turns out, in about five minutes, Patrick turns up missing an arm and is almost immediately killed. There's a great bit here when Amanda's fleeing the snake in another jeep, and she hits what I can only describe as a minor molehill, and the car vaults <laughs> through the air. As if <laughs> it's very silly. Is this when she is shooting at the snake? <laughs> she has a, a great line where she says something like, "You big bag of slime," and <laughs> shooting at them. <laughs> like what? Were, were they? Yeah, clearly not trying to cuss because this is for TV. <laughs> oh, potentially. You big bag of slime. You big bag of slime was like, oh, you know your way around a quip. <laughs> it's almost silly <laughs> to even call a snake anything like what don't even waste your words just run because there's a lot of running happens right about here and i would say my favorite shot in the film is here and it's the moment where amanda and frosted tips are running along the kind of hillside and we see it in like an extreme wide shot like almost the horizon of this hillside and you see them running horizontally and the snake just chasing them along it and i was like fuck that's good yeah, I quite like this too, because basically at this point we have the kind of unifying moment where a couple of our groups merge. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Amanda and Alex and that lot kind of meet in and kind of kind of get in like onto the kind of the same page and kind of with the same stakes as Jackson and, uh, and all them. And we lose kind of like a red shirt here, just kind of like who spots Alex and Amanda getting chased by the snake and tries to solve the problem by shooting at it. Uh-huh. And, like, when you see him getting eaten by the snake, it's, yeah, like you say, Andy, the same way as that shot you were talking about. It's wide and it's almost in silhouette. Mm -hmm. And it's a cop-out from a gore perspective, but in terms of, like, as an actual death, as a visual, it's quite cool. I like it. I really like it. I thought it was brilliant. It never lives <laughs> up to that promise again, though, sadly, because there's a lot of other, like, snake versus human foot chases. I would, I would actually wager there's too much snakes chasing people on foot. Too much snake chasing. Mm. <laughs> I this just, is this is an interesting point in the franchise for you to start having that objection. I don't know, I just felt there was a lot more snake coming out of nowhere in the other films, but it just seems to be constantly people running. Like there is a exciting, lot. sudden deaths. Exactly, <laughs> like the waterfall one in the first film. I'm nostalgic for that right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Getting caught mid-fall and wrapped up into the snake. Superb. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think that like for for as much as some of the deaths are kind of quite satisfying to look at here, there's no like great visual to match something like that across any like three or four. I don't think. 
So I feel like we should kind of reground ourselves in exactly what's going on here at this point. Please, I've got no fucking idea. Because, because, so what we, so, <laughs> yeah, so tell what me we, what's happening. <laughs> so what we have here is like, we've got Amanda and Alex, um, who have become kind of separated from the like the other people that Amanda was with at the start. They're together. They've met in with Jackson, Heather, Wendy, and Patrick. Mm-hmm. They've explained the situation about what it is that they're trying to do, and obviously because the people that jackson and co were looking for are all dead the new central thing is that we now have this one group who are trying to find and destroy the serum and defeat the snake but the other kind of competing thing is that eugene and his sub assassins have arrived as well well. yeah and they now know that there's a snake because one of them dies and then you get that really cool bit where the they're running through the, the of course they're running they're running through the, the woods and the snake's chasing them and that guy falls over and the guy runs past and he's like oh life is hard and then the dude on the ground shoots him and just leaves him to die. Oh my god. I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> and then Eugene, in an act which I can only describe as outrageous, calls Murdoch and says, oh, you never told us about the fucking snakes. Don't pretend you didn't know there was a big snake here. Your price has now gone from $1 million to 10 That's an outrageous raising of the stakes. I'd be like, forget it. Get eaten by the snake. I'll get another Romanian hitman to come and sort it out. <laughs> I I don't I don't know <laughs> where to begin. The I love the fact that Eugene and Co find the camp where um everybody else is staying because uh Wendy is trying to like radio for help. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um Eugene is kind of commandeered a walkie-talkie and she gives away their position by saying and I believe this is a direct quote. We are near a cornfield or something. <laughs> And you just see this, like, evil smile spread over the guy's face, being like, I know exactly the cornfield she's talking about. Uh, well, uh, it's, it's not Nebraska. <laughs> it's I'm fucking Romania. I'm so confused still of where the fuck this is supposed to be happening. You think this would, like, all the movies, same thing with part two or three, we were like, at some points it looks like they're near, like, a suburb. Sometimes it looks yeah. like they're in the jungle. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is like, I'm. I'm still don't know. Yeah. No. Like, I, why would there be a cornfield in a jungle? Why would there wait, be a cornfield? What, what country are we even? In? We're in Romania, yeah. clearly, because <laughs> the the uh, frosted tips does say that they're in Romania, and we know that it's the we're in the Carpathian Mountains, which also begs the question: Why the fuck is there a cornfield in the Carpathian Mountains? <laughs> I mean, but like you're right, though, Joel. I mean, like like sometimes this has the feel of them being in the jungle. Sometimes this feels like they're in like a national park. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, sometimes it feels like it's, it's like farmland adjacent. Different, like completely. I I mean I haven't you know been in a in a school learning about these things, but I feel like the jungle is one sort of habitat, and then there's like the woods, and then there's a farmland. <laughs> yeah, it's all that at one time. Yeah, sure. I don't know. So, what basically happens here, and kind of what sets up the stakes for the second half on, slash final third of the film, <laughs> is that Eugene obviously needs to get the serum and go. He understands the dangers inherent in what's out there now. Yeah. So he basically says to Amanda and Simon, who is the kind of like belligerent Englishman. Oh yeah, that guy. From uh, from uh, from Jackson's kind of squad. That they're gonna go there and do this now. And they're gonna they're gonna send two mercenaries with them. They're gonna go and basically do Eugene's bidding. They're gonna get the serum and come back and then he's gonna like take it let them live and fuck off back with it 
That's right. So the setup to this actually happening is quite good, I think, because a couple of people die here. Patrick, who has already got an arm missing from a snake attack. Sure. Uh, is shot dead here. Also, Wendy tries to escape. She is also killed, again, for a character that we've seen on screen for maybe, consider- like, absolute outer limit eight minutes. Her death is extremely dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reoccurring thing in this franchise it, it really is there's, there's there's another incredibly dramatic death for someone that i categorically didn't give a fuck about later on and they spend time on the deaths of the people that we we know the least <laughs> yeah that, that that like like yeah people's investment in whether certain people live or die is something that this franchise routinely gets wrong well they don't <laughs> no one seems to really react at all when people die here it's almost as if the death rate is such that death has lost all meaning See, once the two mercenaries and that's Amanda, a deep, oh, sorry, a deep insight for this film. Sorry, <laughs> I think there comes a point though. Surely, when you see so much carnage and bloodshed around you, where you're just like, ah, oh, fuck another one. All right, okay. Every, yeah, everyone's very decent. One less mouth to feed. When Amanda and Scott are being marched into, is that even the... his name? Have you just made up a name? I think it, like, like the English guy. I'm pretty sure his name's Scott, but he's but he's getting kind of marched in uh, with like he and Amanda are getting marched in. She gives him a she gives him a kind of previously on Anaconda roundup that I would have benefited from at the start of the film. Right, like mm. she she basically gives him this kind of like potted history of film two and three, and I was like, oh cool, I wish this had happened like a half an hour ago. I was doing as I often do, particularly when it's like a later entry in a franchise that we're covering. I was watching this taking notes but also had the wikipedia plot synopsis open alongside it um so i could just kind of like keep everything very really? much in line and make sure i wasn't missing a trick the wikipedia plot synopsis at this point says that the snake finds and devours Layla and hakim <laughs> I was like, who are those people who, who in the living fuck are Layla and hakim there isn't another woman in it I was absolutely baffled by that. I mean, but at that point, I was like, "Now I know I was taking notes for a second there, but I did. Did I miss an entire scene where people died?" I, was like, I think that's from the third one, Mitch. <laughs> I've got a memory of a of a female like mercenary in the third one. That does ring a bell. Uh, they were like uh, they were like a barn or something. They were like outside a barn or a. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a barn. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's the right. Snake yeah, came out of the barn. <laughs> a barn nestled in the jungle, and a jeep exploded. Yes, all of that is right. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe that's what that was then. Uh, but but see, they're so interchangeable un- because jeeps are exploding in this film every five minutes. That is certainly true. <laughs> so on this kind of journey in to do this, um, Amanda and Scott and the two mercenaries take cover in the scientist Peter's old house. Another unbelievable stroke of luck when they stay here for the night, when they find a vial of the serum on the first loose floorboard that they try. Like they like they uncover the serum that they're looking for. Like like they they pick like they pick a bedroom at random, go in there, and then they're like, "What are we what are we gonna do about finding you know, the serum?" Mitch, and that's not like, even as unbelievable as when, in a fit of rage because all his friends are dead, that English guy throws like a canteen uh, in a dickish move, by the way, um, mm-hmm. and it just so happens to contain all of the serum. She says something about like, "Is this really all of the serum?" <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, I have because, a memory of this. Maybe it's in the a different part of the movie. No, no, you're right. No, it's like because they, they have they have two things in kind of rapid succession where like they find one vial of the serum. Like I say, they, like they pick a bedroom at random and they're getting kind of settled in for the night. <laughs> and Amanda's like, "Don't know what the fuck we're gonna do about finding the serum." And then Scott's like, "Hang on a minute, that floorboard looks loose." And he literally just moves it, and there's a vial of it just kind of like <laughs> delicately placed inside. It was destiny. 
That's it. Sometimes the, the like the pieces just fall. And the, as you there's a lot of incredibly fortuitous stuff mm. um, happens in this because because there is a snake attack here. Um, at which point somebody credited only as Mercenary Four, fine by Amazon, uh, dies. He goes outside and he's like, "I'm going for some air." And at that point, it just so happens that a gigantic snake slithers out of the trees and eats him. By the way, also forgotten until this point that the snake's indestructible. I've written that in my notes here. Like, oh, this snake's indestructible, isn't it? Can it just regenerate whatever it happens to it? I'm yeah. not sure. I follow the regeneration rules in this story. Um, <laughs> it's basically the T one thousand. Jill, I'm going to surprise you here. As it turns out, the science on this is a little elastic. <laughs> Because one of these fucking posters say "fear regenerates" is the oh, tagline. Wow. Oh, it's actually cool. that's not bad. Then it's got me thinking: Why are they even fighting the snake? It, you can't kill it. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of the snake being blown to pieces and then all the little pieces becoming other snakes, but that never really. Oh, that would have been way better. That never really happened. Why and the, the film's called Anacondas. Again, but there's only the one fucking snake. Unless there's two, and we 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 still haven't figured that out. It's going to be really embarrassing if none of the three of us spotted the second snake. Mm. Does even the the Wikipedia description say there were two snakes? There's 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 no mention. There's no mention of a supplementary snake. Um, oh, I see it. A, a baby anaconda was captured. Why was there only one? There were supposed to be like hundreds of them. Yeah, I feel like they got they got the scale of that wrong in the third one. I also think it's funny that, like, see, so obviously, like I say, they find the serum in the bedroom, and then Scott is like, if it's attracted to flowers, it'll love this. And then, like, they, <laughs> so after the snake attacks, um, Amanda and Scott escape the house and escape the mercenaries, and then they go into this little, like, outhouse, and like you say, uh, Andy, they just so happen to uncover the rest of the serum. By absolute happenstance. Mitch, I'm so fucking glad you're here because as a kind of objective <laughs> observer of what you're doing right now, you are the only person who is the fucking sing that like who has idea one what is happening in this film. Me and Jill are just best. me and Jill are just sitting blinking. I'm just I'm literally we've got Zoom open and I'm just sitting blinking, looking at your name, Mitch Bain, and just waiting for that little yellow box to pop up around it that means you're going to say something. Like, do my best here, honestly, right? But, like, what well, do you think? Well, you know, <laughs> I've learned that now Mitch cheats by reading the Wikipedia <laughs> plot, Fucking... which I should, be, I should be doing as I'm watching, too, because <laughs> this film is completely impossible to follow unless I, like, I don't even know. Typical but... Mitch reading. Yeah, over here Book preparing. One. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is funny is, that, like, after they find the rest of the serum, you see Amanda kind of looking at it, and you get that thing where it cuts back to Scott five minutes earlier, but now it's sepia tone going, <laughs> if it's attracted to flowers, it'll love this. See, that's what I'm saying. There's a connection between the serum and the snakes, like it's drawn to it. Yeah, but I was like, I was like, I don't need a fucking reminder of that fact. I just saw it four minutes ago. I don't, I didn't, I don't need a flashback in sepia <laughs> like for it. So yeah, Mercenary 4 dies here. And then, weirdly, somebody else who's credited by Amazon as Mercenary 4 dies later. Um, uh, so, for avoidance of doubt, I've referred to him in my notes as Mercenary 4B. 
But uh, yes, Andy, like you were saying, um, when the snake attacks the main group again, one of them uh, tries to repel it using two hand grenades, does not dispatch the grenade, and then it's just like, has a proper like Looney Tunes, like right before an anvil falls on Elmer Fudd, like, uh-oh, moment before he explodes. <laughs> yeah, because he closes his eyes, like, and the snake's like two seconds away from biting his face off, and he's got these two active grenades in his hand, and he's thinking, right, I die, but I die with a snake. And he opens his eyes and the snake's just meandering down the road away from him. Uh, the, sn- <laughs> uh, the, snake's just, the snake's just fucked off, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. There is quite a lot of just people zigzagging on the map and occasionally running afoul of a snake. Mm. In this in it, like in the, in this portion of it. It's very difficult to keep a firm handle on exactly like not exactly what the stakes are, because I do understand that. Like I understand that like it's it's imperative that these two go and get the serum so Eugene can go and uh, can I claim his money, etc. And uh, the evil Murdoch can uh, recover from his bone cancer and can continue doing evil shit long into his 80s and 90s. <laughs> but Murdoch, fed up at the slow progress and presumably fed up at Eugene's insolence, has flown over and personally intervenes at this point. I've got now, to say, a, a man five days from death with terminal bone cancer shouldn't be running around like this. I would agree. <laughs> he gets to the camp and at this point, the film just hits a randomizer on where everyone's allegiances are. Because uh, Vasile, who is one of the people that was with Amanda right at the start that she gets separated from, that I believe at some point we're told has died, mm-hmm. shows up at the camp and is like, <laughs> remember me? And I'm like, kind of. I had immediately <laughs> forgotten who that fucking guy was, by the way. Like, when he turned up, I was like, who's this now? Of course, <laughs> no, I everyone's me. turned against Murdoch now. Pretty much, yeah. Like, um, because like Vasio is apparently a long-standing enemy in murder. Because he turns up and he's like, oh, "You." <laughs> when he did that, I was like, "What is this now? What are the stakes here? Like, is this a long-lost son? Is this some kind of jaded employee?" I had no fucking idea where it was and going. It's... And the film isn't really interested in telling you. No, like. I think that at this point, when Murdoch turns up and Vasile's there and he's like, not you, my old nemesis, I think that the film likes the idea of giving you like a gut punch shock moment here, but is also not particularly interested in doing the work. Like, he just shows up, Vasile's like, remember me? And he's like, nemesis. And you're supposed to just go, <gasps> which... <laughs> Which I don't think particularly lands, but he is also, but, but he's also enlisted Eugene. Eugene, is the, Eugene the sexy assassin, has defected... Yeah. And is now in like like into with Vasile, but at this point, the most incoherent fight scene ever happens. So Vasile tells Eugene to kill Murdoch. Right. And then Jackson, who has presumably no like has no idea who any of these people are, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um like for some reason is like, no! And like runs and tackles um Eugene before he kills Murdoch. So in the struggle, his Gun goes off anyway, and he shoots Vassal or Vassil in the shoulder, and he dies. Right. Um, and then, now hang on a minute. So in the kind of struggle, Murdoch tries to make a break for it. Jackson punches out Eugene, which, I, again, I, I'm not sure why, gets his gun. I thought that Eugene was dead at this point. He's just unconscious from the face punch. Right. <laughs> People fall unconscious incredibly easily in this film. Ah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's something in the air, like or like or in the humidity out there or what. But like, uh, then so Jackson tries to get the people <laughs> you're supposed to root for into the escape vehicle while carrying on tackling people and punching them in the mouth, right? Because that's because that's all he's capable of in the third act of this film. Mm-hmm. In a tense struggle with Mercenary One, for fuck's sake, <laughs> uh, Jackson gets shot. 
Give me strength. Yes. But then... Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, Amanda returns at this point and dramatically riddles Mercenary 1 with bullets. Again, you're yeah. not expected to... Like, you're, like, like, you have no idea broadly who this guy is, apart from the fact that he's an interchangeable bad guy. A lot of people die in very rapid succession here. <laughs> and um, and what, we're basi- what it basically boils down to, unsurprisingly, is a standoff between Murdoch and Amanda. <laughs> there have been a lot of standoffs in this film. This one is obviously framed as being the most tense. Right. <laughs> oh, God. She hands him the serum because he's kind of got... Well, he's, he's not got hard at gunpoint, but he's basically like... He's going to kill Alex, basically. He's got a gun to his head, and he's like, give me the serum, and we're going to blow this guy's brains out. So she's like, okay, take the serum. So like, he does. I'd be like, I don't know this guy. I met him yesterday. Fucking kill well, him. Everyone, yeah, I, everyone again, I like is already dead. Yeah, that feels like quite a low-stakes threat to me, because like Alex, like we didn't know who he was until a day ago, and neither did Amanda. And Murdoch's like, I'll kill your best pal if you don't give me the serum. And she's like, oh, God, okay, take it. Mm-hmm. Why are you so... like? Because this happened, like... Well, anyway... Now at this point, <laughs> when she hands him the serum, I assumed that this would be like a bait and switch thing. Right, of course, yeah. Like you know, it was like a fake where, like, thing, or it was yeah, it's like, like oh, it's like yeah. oh, it's bleach or it's acid or something like that. <laughs> sure. and like, and he was going to be like, ah, I have the serum now. Inject it into his neck. And he, like, fair play to him, by the way. Again, this like this guy in his seventies or eighties at death's door takes the serum and is like sweet and just immediately injects it into his own neck. Um, which is a pretty baller move under the circumstances, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> that desperate people, Mitchell, do desperate things. I suppose that's true. But I was like, oh, like I say, presumably they have, like, they've switched out with something that is going to do him, like, irreparable damage. And we'll get, like, a cool death scene where something happens, like, his throat burns from the outside and from the inside out or sure. something. Sure, that feels a lot like wishful thinking because what actually happens is he has this weird moment of regeneration when he kind of throws his walking stick away like Willy Wonka. He almost jumps up and like clicks his heels in midair. He's feeling so good. His cancel's on the retreat. And it all seems everything seems to be coming up Murdoch until he is uh, constricted and eaten. <laughs> I mean, if the snake isn't going to eat him at the end of the movie, it's going to be very upsetting. Yeah, I feel I I feel like it's it's the only way he could have gone really. But yeah, so his 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 celebration for his recovery from his bone cancer is extremely short lived. He has bigger fish to fry almost immediately when he's uh, constricted and decapitated. At this point, Andy, yes, Amanda destroys the orchids. She basically tries what no, she tries again at the very thing that she tried to do an hour ago and succeeds this time. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, she rigs it with explosives explosives and blows it up, and her. Alex, Jackson, and Heather, who are the only survivors from both groups, try to make an escape. (laughs) Um, But they have both an anaconda and Eugene in hot pursuit. Now, what I do want to commend this film for is that I think that it is really funny um, at the end, because like Eugene's kind of like held on to the back of the vehicle, like Sideshow Bob, Tail and the Simpsons. That's right, of course. Yeah, this is a bit I was talking about earlier, where they have that kind of. <laughs> yes. They have what, what is a, a extremely proficient, certainly from the outside of the Jeep. Anytime you're in the inside of the Jeep, judging from the green screen work, it's quite apparent that that Jeep is not outside. But yeah, I actually think the fight itself on the Jeep is quite proficient and quite good stunt work. People are getting dragged behind it. Like, people are climbing up and clambering all over it and tussling on the outside of it. It's pretty good. And I admit, I still don't understand, even with this lovely explanation, 
why these two groups came together. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say, can I, uh, I've got a confession. I had stopped watching long before this point. <laughs> I guess they came together because Jackson's lot turned up at the start and the people that they were trying to rescue had died. And they're like, well, we're here now. What is it you're doing? <laughs> But yeah, like you say, I had a pretty good struggle on the on the on the actual kind of jeep here as Eugene tries to prevent them escaping. He's got a grenade in both hands and um, he's kicked off the back of the jeep and is attacked by a snake. At that point, the two grenades also discharge, so he and the snake are both blown to smithereens in the same instance. Yeah, that's pretty um, good. This was the chance where they could have done something awesome and there were like then 10 snakes created out of the one snake. 100%. That is the ending that you need there. You see, I felt like that was what was being kind of touted at the start with the cutting the snake in half to see if it regenerates and then burning the parts that don't. Like, I felt very much like that was the that was what we were going to get fed here. Or that was what was going to happen. But no, not at all. No. And we're all the worse for that not happening. Also, I want to say here, <laughs> in the initial kind of explosion when the the, the snake's eating Eugene and it, the, like, the, the grenades go off, it very much looks like the snake's head just gets blown off again. But when we next see it, it's like vaporised into like just minuscule snake chunks. Mm-hmm. There, are, there, are, there are snake shards everywhere. Yeah. But Amanda kind of assumes that the snake can't regenerate from this. And I feel like she's kind of always making a lot of assumptions about that. She's a shite scientist. She is quite a shite scientist. That's why she like... keeps changing her kind of discipline. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Like, no, because too, many people... too many people died last time. I'm off to be a humble botanist. <laughs> but now, like, um, but she's like, oh, it can't regenerate now. It's like, well, how do you know that? The entire time she's been like, oh, it'll regenerate. But presumably if we do enough damage, then it won't regenerate. I was like, you are basing that on fuck all. Tell you what I wanted to see. Prepare yourselves for this, right? So that snake ate John Reese Davis, ate Murdoch, right? Both of them are absolutely riddled with serum. I want Anaconda 5 where John <laughs> Reese Davis is a regenerating snake man hybrid. <laughs> there it that is. That sounds right. that's entertaining. All those that, pieces yes. come back together. It's a little bit John Reese davis a little bit digital snake, with a sharp <laughs> tail and a deep English accent. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry to admit that I didn't even see that there was a blade on the tail of this one. <laughs> there is, there is. I didn't call that either. It's not as, I, I like it's not as front and centre, or, or I have to say, used with anywhere near the regularity that it is in part three. Nah, Jill, I'm with you on this. I didn't spot this at all. Um, and like, and I think that that and when you said that, I was like, oh god, was it like a big ceremonial death where somebody was stabbed with it like no. last time? But there wasn't then. It's just there. All right, okay. I feel what? a lot less bad about not spotting okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I've made a note that why isn't why isn't it there? Like, this is the continued story. Why isn't the blade there? And why aren't we getting all these kills with it? The sting, the sting, <laughs> the stinger on this is that the snake does regenerate once everyone has escaped, and slithers off into the forest, presumably to prep itself for Lake Placid versus Anaconda, which would follow this six years later. Yeah, the wily old bastard was not to be outdone, and again, Amanda was proved wrong, as she's kind of want to be, really. Um, And yeah, that was it. There was supposed to be a fifth one, which never came to fruition, and like you say... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, like you say, that didn't really... Nothing really came of this franchise until 
Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Which to me is a weird title because that implies that it's the snake versus the lake. The snake versus oh, the lake. Oh, there's your tagline. Um, yeah, the lake itself. But like, would that not be like the equivalent of calling like Godzilla versus Kong like Tokyo versus Kong? <laughs> it would be, yeah. I mean, in, def- in defense of, of this decision, <laughs> you know they just did it so people would know, oh, it's the Lake Placid movie. Like, oh, yeah, I don't absolutely. Need- I feel horrible. I haven't seen Lake Placid. I'd probably love it since I like this kind of shit. But mm-hmm. is it an alligator in that movie? Like, That's right. I don't know. I don't know if it has a name. But like, if it was just Lake Placid's alligator versus Anaconda, I don't. You know, I don't know. Co- coincidentally, the crocodile in that film is called Lake Placid. Does it have a fucking name though? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Think, I don't think they they bothered. So I'm curious. I need to watch Lake Placid, and I need to know. Like, <laughs> well, this is the thing. Is there any connection to any of the storyline? Do you th- or have you guys seen like from this to the, the verse the verses movie? I've got to be honest <laughs> with you. I do not know how those two universes meet. I can't no. even imagine <laughs> how uh, how the alligator from Lake Placid finds itself in the Carpathian Mountains. <laughs> well, as it. we know, each film is in maybe, you know, or each scene is in a different country, oh, man. land, uh, like, <laughs> city. I don't even know. Yeah, the alligator probably found its way there by making the 10-minute walk from the suburbs. <laughs> so we're done with the Anaconda franchise. Certainly, as it relates to the Anaconda franchise alone, before you start adding in the crossover film, but certainly we have done the four main films of the Anaconda franchise, and do you know what? I don't mind telling you, I preferred this one to the third one. I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on, but I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on in the third one either. They're very, very similar in a lot of ways, but I don't know, I felt like some of this was just done better, like from a technical perspective. I don't know. <laughs> I almost feel like the second, the third one kept my attention a little bit more. Mm. I don't know why. I can't understand why. Could it be um, because there is so much that's similar about them that you were thinking? Because I, I kind of think this is what I was doing when I was. Because I have to say, Mitch, if it wasn't for you, we would have been fucking lost here. I've said it already. But, like, for me, I felt like I'd seen this before, but I hadn't. But because it's so similar to the third one, I think I'd kind of checked out because it, it felt so familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's not aided. I don't. I don't think that like these like three and four as a set, I don't think are particularly aided by the fact that their setups are so similar. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the fact that they both very hastily introduce a slew of characters, um, and I don't think that either of them do a particularly good job in characterization because I think that for one thing it's actually not that important beyond like your main players. But sure. it, I think that this film likes the idea of these kind of minor characters having these complex backstories, but it doesn't explore any of them. So I think that when they try to introduce these strands that they don't commit to, it just muddies the waters and makes it a little more confusing Mm. and a little bit more incoherent and stuff. And like this is already a little bit labyrinthine and it involves a lot of irons in the fire and a lot of people who don't know each other who we haven't met before running into each other and having to explain each other's stakes to each other and then decide which one's the most important and then going and doing that. And not to mention a whole series of betrayals and like backstories and manipulations that again, we've got no fucking context. We're as in the dark as the characters here in this. We're like, what? 
a lot of a lot of exactly like a lot of plot strands are picked up and abandoned. A twist doesn't like, work as a twist unless you're drip-fed information that pertains to the twist, and this film has no interest in doing that with its twist. No, I think that it, it, it fancies itself as being more character-driven than it is, and I think that that's a dangerous position for a film to be in, because mm. I think that, like I say, I think that it's constantly just lobbing so many elements in there and half-introducing and half-exploding some stuff that by the time any of it has to pay off, it's just like this absolute whirlwind of revelations, and it's just like, can somebody just kill this fucking snake, please? <laughs> like, um, and ultimately, all these things, all these kind of like these half, like these kind of half baked things, are just immediately scorched off because all these folk die because they're all just interchangeable, largely nameless folk that are always gonna die. And I think that, like, I don't know, it kind of feels like by trying to do a little bit of digging on characterization rather than just doing none, I think that by trying it and half arsing it. It does a worse job and fails worse because of that, rather than just trying to not do it, like, rather than just not doing it at all, if you know what I mean. I hear you, I hear you. Jill, how are you ranking these, now you've seen all four? Oh my god. Do I even remember? What in the hell happens in part two? Hold on. Part, uh, part... Oh, okay. Part two is head and shoulders <laughs> above three and four, purely because yeah, at least of they're the, still, the like, on a jungle and, like, there's a boat and there's water and it feels a little bit more like the same mm. location mm. in part one. They might go in honestly the or- the order that they are released. I Potentially, think. I would say I would say you might be right. Like, um, Andy, I know that you said that th- like you think that four gets things right that three doesn't. Yeah, I think from from a from a, and it's weird because they're made by the same people. Like, I would imagine that much of the crew and like your post production house and stuff are largely the same. But I don't know. I just felt like a lot of this technically felt better made to me than the third one. Okay. I mean, like uh, that may be true. I'm really not sure. Um, <laughs> the third one maybe gets I, I, extra points for having David Hasselhoff in it. I think that it's probably much as I hate to say it, because it is just absolutely like glaring stunt casting. I think that like because the because three and four operate on so many similar levels, I would say that three maybe sticks out and it's more likely to be memorable because of that piece of stunt casting. I don't think that either of them necessarily are that interested in being that engaging beyond that. Sure. Um, I'm happy to learn that one of the production companies is called Really Big Snake Productions, which I can only assume is just a company that, you know, made these movies. Maybe that's all they've made. <laughs> Potentially, know. yeah. Either that or it was like an oddly named company that had made kind of like indie dramas up till that point and coincidentally did <laughs> <Yes>. these two. <laughs> But we made it, guys. Whether or not, because like I say, we've got like we've done Lake Placid on the show with Blair. Yeah. I kind of feel like there could be a crossover episode in our future. I'd be up for that if Jim and Blair are. For Lake Placid versus Anaconda. That would be very fun. Yeah, could be a good time. It's going to be a showdown and I have to watch it and I'm going to have to... I have no idea what this movie is, but I'm already diehard for Anaconda. Yep, you're going to have to get fabricating your reasons why it's great. I love that <laughs> even though we've established that this film has diminishing returns, or this series has diminishing returns, and haven't you, and given the fact that you've never even seen the late Placid films, you're like, I'm Anaconda through and through, Anaconda till I die. Fuck you, player. There's a whole fucking franchise? Are you telling me I'm going to have to watch like four... Lake Placid movies before I watch Lake oh, Placid. Oh, wait, how many Lake Placid films? Anaconda? I don't know if I could be fucked digging that deep into Lake Placid as a franchise there, after this. There are four before oh, no. Anaconda. There's two, three, and then one they call the final chapter. Okay, yeah. nice try, Steel. Yeah, I think Robert Englund's in there. Friday the 13th. 
<laughs> what? I think Robert England's in the final chapter, if I remember correctly. But hey, why don't we just agree now, right, that we don't tell Blair that there's other films in the Lake Placid franchise and hope that she doesn't find out. <laughs> there's even one after Anaconda, you know, the, the verses called right. Legacy. Right. Quite <laughs> so, that that, like, that like, doesn't sound good for your uh, slithery pal. I am drawing a line. I am drawing a line in the <laughs> fucking sand. Uh, Lake Blessed Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this has been a, a this has been a roller coaster. It's, it has been a roller coaster, Jill. Every time you've been on the show, it's kind of marked a different point in the process of the stylist being made and kind of like generally kind of like the progress and the journey of that film. I think that the first time that you came on was just before the, uh, you headed over to Fright Fest in 2019 when the Kickstarter was launching. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I believe the second time it was either around the time that the Kickstarter was over and the money was raised or you'd shot it. And I then think it was the f- just when it had been shot. It had been shot. I think that would make sense time-wise. And then obviously after that, it was just ahead of the premiere. So... I think that there is this kind of really nice synchronicity with the fact that, and obviously it's no coincidence, but the fact that you're back here doing the fourth one uh, just a couple of days before the stylus lands on the Arrow player. Uh, so first off, massive congratulations yeah, on man. that score. Absolutely, like, completely, like, kind of well-deserved. And we've got a physical copy following in June as well. How are you feeling? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so freaking excited. And we have so many exciting things still to share with people, but, like, I guess you guys will see a lot of that in a few days yeah. on the, the player. Um, it's like overwhelming and surreal and insanely exciting. And like when we spoke about this, you kind of said that this was kind of going to be your break because uh, it sounds like you've been pretty busy getting some stuff ready for that release. Then Yes, we've made we've been working on a lot of special features yeah. and mm-hmm. have some other surprises coming along with the Arrow family. So I'm so freaking excited. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing, and we both me and Mitch have been pretty vocal about how much we love the film. Uh, by the way, thank you for when you sent me your screener watermarking it with the word anaconda. Thank you. I had to watch <laughs> the entirety of the stylist with the word anaconda emblazoned across the screen. Uh, so thanks oh for that. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just really fucking great to see the film being received the way it's been received and the response that it's got it's like it's really great by the way i've got to say right now no small measure of jealousy here that i'm now the only one in this conversation who doesn't have their face appearing on an arrow video extra (laughs) (laughs) thanks very much arrow but yeah so jill obviously um in the states and in the uk the the stylist lands on the arrow player by the time this airs, it'll be this coming Monday, March first. Yeah. Massive congratulations! Like I say, we've like we've both been like longtime supporters of the film. I think that there could not be a better home for it here as well. Yeah, huge congratulations! Thank you so much. And I want to say right now, whether it's Anaconda versus fucking Lake Placid, I don't think this will be the last time we see Jill on the show. It better not. I be. hope not. <laughs> no, it's been awesome, like you said, coming on and kind of marking these exciting moments with our crazy anaconda antics <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I like the fact i like the fact that kind of like there's been a few chapters that have been very clearly delineated by uh, the times that you've come on here i think that that's been a really fun thing but yeah jill the anaconda series may be over i have a feeling like andy says your appearances on the show probably aren't uh where can people find you on social media though at Jill Six and follow the film at the Stylist Film. Everywhere. On all the places. 
Jill, thanks so much for doing this again. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to, to talk with you guys. <laughs> always and fun to talk snakes. especially to talk about snakes. <laughs> <laughs> We made it. Yeah, four of them. The Anaconda series proper ends. And here. for our purposes. Unless yep. they Done. seek out another snaky effort sometime down the line. At which point, of course, Jill is contractually obligated to come back and talk about it. Although, I have to say, I do remember rumblings of a remake. I did remember that being the often, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that could be in our future. I'm braced for impact. I'm always braced for more snakes on this show. <laughs> Especially the past couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, but big thank you once again, of course, to Jill Gavargazian joining us for the fourth time record breaker. Yes, and check out The Stylist. It's coming to the Auto Player this Monday. If you don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about The Stylist, you have not been listening to the show for very long. No, no. Um, uh, seek it out when it lands because you will not be disappointed. It's, I think it, as far as debut features go, it couldn't be a more assured, solid piece of work. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's fantastic. So uh, yeah, get on that from Monday the 1st of March on The Auto Player. However, for now, we're done. Back once again, though, this Monday with another mini-sode, we will, of course, be talking about what we've been watching. Nature will be continuing to go wild. We will mm. be taking a look at your feedback. We'll be playing Mitch's Pitches. We'll be letting you know everything you need to know about this week's guest and film. We are filling up that guest diary for Jeez. March with a yeah. fucking vengeance, by the way. Mitch, I'm watching a lot of Nature Gone Wild stuff right now, just as kind of preparation for the main episodes. This is, this is I'm watching a lot of animal attacks. That's true. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm at what I would consider to be kind of like my tipping point. I'm frankly scared of every animal that I see. <laughs> at this point, they're just side eyeing cats and dogs, being like they're up to yeah, something. Yeah, there's a net. You know the big tree out the back of my house. Yes. Right now, squirrels building a nest. Right. Don't trust them one iota. Yep. Plotting your downfall. They're afraid. up to something for sure. <laughs> However, assuming that the squirrel's plan doesn't come to fruition, like mm. I say, we will be back on Monday. If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, you can do that through a variety of channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Vanguard Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC. You can email Strong Language Vanguard Scenes at gmail.com. And you can join the conversation on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. And hey, if on Monday when we come to release the mini-sode, if you don't hear my voice and it's just a series of squeaks, assume that the squirrels have got me and the squirrel is going to co-host this show going forward. And in fact, the next time you hear someone talk about our Patreon, it may in fact be the squirrel that ate my face. So for now, let me just say... Please visit our Patreon, and yeah, if you see anything that you like that kind of floats your boat, please consider supporting us. You support us anyway, but have a look, and if anything interests you, then take a punt. Yep, and if you'd like to support us for free, there's loads of ways you could do that as well that are also really helpful. You could rate, review, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. You could tell your friends, like, shares, comments. All these things make a difference, we're told. Um, and we have seen um, a fair few new people coming on board lately, so also a big hello to all of you. Yeah, thanks guys. Thank you. Welcome aboard. We're back Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.